read the word of the Lord. We'll pray, review quickly, and see the person of comfort. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, and our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we could not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through your prayers. Also many thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of the many. Father, help us to hear our brother. And Father, the things that are going on in our lives today, uh, even those that would we would classify as affliction, Father, may we drink deep knowing that you comfort. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have eyes to see. Help us, Lord, to rest full weight upon your purpose, upon your promises, upon your power, And Father, the exaltation of who you are and to your glory and to your praise in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Well, this is an interesting letter. The more that I read it, the more interesting it becomes because he starts it off literally with a benediction. And yet this man is in a a bad place. He has been through through some stuff. And it's fascinating as I read this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That verse 3. Because he starts it off with praising. Now normally, we spend time praising. We, what, next month we'll celebrate Thanksgiving and I'm sure that there'll be some praises for God and His you know, caring for us over the year and providing the meal. And probably if you are with family or if you have family come into town, there'll be some thankfulness there and and, and gratitude of what God has done in the last year. But the truth of the matter is where Paul is in writing this letter, he would really be on the slim side to be thankful He had spent three years founding a church in Ephesus and it exploded in a riot. 
And, and everybody's been scattered. Well, that went well. He had spent 18 months in Corinth and had not been gone but three years and it had done a great big flushing sound. Um, the, 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 the community had literally overrun the church where immorality was as rampant in the church as it was in the temple of Aphrodite's. And in, in all of this, you have the merging of false teachers who are literally coming in and attacking the apostle Paul. And in the attacking of the Apostle Paul, they're trying to tear down his integrity because then I can throw out his doctrine and you will listen to what I am teaching. That's amazing stuff. And yet in the middle of this, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of comfort. Because what had happened, he had been gone. He had wrote one letter to correct some situations that was there. They had corresponded back to him. He wrote another letter that you know as 1 Corinthians. The first six chapters of 1 Corinthians is chastening. And then in 7, he responds to verse, or chapter 7 on, he responds to what they're asking him. All right? He wasn't getting the appropriate response. So he made a trip, a special trip. He left for a short time, Ephesus, went back to Corinth and was literally attacked. He was attacked with accusations from those who were in teaching positions. And the thing that crushed him was no one came to his defense. So he went back to Ephesus and he wrote a third letter, what is called here in this this letter, uh, the severe letter. It is not canonized. We do not have it. I bet it was a dandy. And because I say that, because God even used that, though it wasn't a God-breathed letter, that Titus had come back to him when he ran into Titus in Macedonia and said, a large number of people are changing. But see, Paul's not a fool. He knows that the enemy is still there. The enemy will attack truth. You will find statements in this letter where he says, Are not the messengers of Satan disguised as angels of light? They will come and preach the Bible. I mean, be realistic and be on guard. Balaam prophesied Messiah. Okay? But I bet I spend more time with his donkey than I do Balaam. But I, I want us to be careful because there's times, um, and maybe you haven't, uh, but there has been times when I have cried out to the Lord and I have, as David said in Psalm 10, verse 1, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Okay, sounds like Job, doesn't it? I mean, if you take chapter 1 and 2 out of the book of Job, what does it look like? I would say that you would line up with Job's buddies. And you would say, Job, I don't know what you're doing, but it's obvious God does. And if I was you, I'd quit. Because your life looks absolutely miserable. 
I believe that that's what's happening here in this benediction. I believe you'll see him listed out in chapter 11. I was in trouble in the country. I was in trouble in the city. I was in trouble by my countrymen and by the Gentiles. I was stoned. I was beaten. I was arrested. I was shipwrecked. And I believe that you would have a large number of people. And even today who would say, if all of that is going bad for you, how can you be doing God's work? Most people today believe that if you have health, wealth, and prosperity, then you must be doing God's work. Right? I sat down at a conference a week ago, and um, no pastor in his right mind will literally say, in front of witnesses, <laughs> success in the ministry is numbers. All right? But here's how they say it. We need to get more people saved. What would that imply? More numbers. Now listen, I agree. We need to see more people saved. But not for the sake of numbers. All right. If you look at Paul's ministry, everywhere he went, I mean, the only church that seemed to flourish were the churches he didn't spend much time at. That's just by readings. He didn't spend much time in Philippi, and that was a strong church. He didn't spend much time in Thessalonica, and that was a strong church. In Berea, he didn't spend much time, and that was a strong church. Now, he spent a lot of time in Corinth for no apparent reason. And he spent a lot of time in Ephesus, and even Jesus has to send Ephesus a letter. Right? So it's like every time he spent a little time there, it was like, ugh. But what would happen is the false can come in behind and say, because of this pain, because of this suffering, because of this tragedy, because of this affliction, because of this heartache, because of this thing going bad and this thing going bad, how can he be doing the work of God? But listen, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that the men of God who stood firm on the word of God were always persecuted. Look at the prophets. I mean, they're always prosperous. And, and I mean, and one of the things that I want you to understand, life is full of trouble. It rises, Job says, like ashes out of a fire. People have pain. Anytime you minister to people, you will have pain. It may be heartbreak. It may be rocks. It may be whips. It may be sticks. But you're always going to have it. And yet the Apostle Paul in the middle of all of this says, you know what? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he was at war. He was at war. He says, our weapons are not of flesh. They are spiritual. And they tear down fortresses. Do you know what letter that's in? Second Corinthians. Why? Because Paul understood what was going on. And why? He was a target. You stand firm for truth, you will be a target. I don't have to go look for a fight. I just stand for truth. People think that I'm running around trying to pick doctrinal battles. No, 
I will sit with a group of pastors. They will say something. I have but one statement to say. Where is that in the Bible? And they know what I mean. I had a pastor in Russia when I was teaching the book of Romans. And I said, none seek after God. No, not one. That's what Paul says. And he got mad. He says, I've always sought after God. I said, you sought to appease your conscience, but you never sought after God. Well, I'll have you know I sought after God. And I just looked at him. I said, Alexander, then take that text and tear it out of your Bible. And everybody in the room knew what I was saying. Okay. You believe you sought after God and you are contradicting what the word of God says. All right. So what was it you were seeking to appease your conscience? Now he threw a book at me. But I, being young and agile, ducked. <laughs> what? I ain't dumb. I'm not going to take a book for Jesus. I'll take a bullet for Jesus, but I ain't taking a book. Okay? Listen. God had shown His faithfulness to Paul, regardless of the difficulty. See, Paul knew that he was doing what God had called him to. And regardless of what it looked like from the outsider, this man was full of joy, gratitude, and praise. Why? Because we started this last week of the person that he received his comfort from. Everybody in this room has a definition for comfort. Okay? And there may not be two that are alike. But when you think about comfort, you have to start asking from what position are you starting that you want to be comforted? Because you can have pain that is emotional. You can have pain that is spiritual and you can have pain that is physical. All right. Anytime that pain hits, what is it you want? Morphine. No, I want comfort. Make this better. Right? And in some cases, you may have a person, an individual, a doctor or somebody who can give you some comfort. One of the things I've learned about physical pain, we want physical pain to move. We want it to go away. Shoo, shoo. But physical pain always shows up because there's a problem. Right? I mean, you can take enough painkillers to stop any pain. But the problem is, you're not dealing with the issue. I mean, if you cut your arm off, probably hurts. Oh, give me some morphine. No, put the arm back on. Why? It'll be a little sore, but it'll be okay. Right? But we want it fixed. But most of the time, we just want comfort. Paul understood that he was going for he who is of comfort. And Christ, what he looked at, what we looked at last week, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ covers all comfort, whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional, or whether it's physical. It's all there. Why? Because of redemption. See, he. this letter is to a church that is being corrected so that they will be used greater. 
We don't like to be corrected. There ain't nobody in this room likes to be corrected. But God corrects us so that we will be of greater use. But we, we also see this letter is written by a man who is being strengthened for greater usefulness. You want to see a cross section of a true Christian, read 2 Corinthians. Because there's no doctrinal issue in this. You're looking at a man's heart. And this is the most personal, open-hearted of Paul that I've ever read. More so than even Philemon. This letter is a devoted man of God and what a devoted man of God looks like. It's the heart of a man in his experience with God. I can guarantee you in this room today, everyone here has had some experience with God. And you know what? Some of it we would say really wasn't as much fun as I thought it was going to be. Right? I know some of my experiences with God were not, hee hee. Okay? Some of my experiences with God, I would say, were not really comforting. They were not, definitely not comfortable. But you know what? We were used greater. See, this is discipleship. When the heart is broken, what do you do? Well, I'm convinced that the suffering of this age cannot compare to the glory to come. You know, that always works really good as long as it ain't you it's pointed at. Right? If you just lost a loved one or you just got a bad diagnosis from the doctor and somebody comes walking up to you you have, and says, I'm convinced that the suffering of this life cannot compare to the glory to come. You have my permission to hit them. Because you can look at them right in the eye and say, guess what? I'm convinced that the suffering of that black eye is not going to pair to glory to come. <laughs> and God will use it to make you more useful. Right? When you're in the middle of the travail, you don't need somebody coming quoting scripture at you because odds are you've already got it rolling through your head. Mine is based on this way. I have texts that move to the degree of the affliction. All right. The first text that I ever memorized was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. When I get to that one, oh, it's bad. Because I've already gone that, you know, we with unveiled faces are being transformed to glory to glory. You know, I'm convinced that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. But the time I get to... Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Guess what? <laughs> I'm run out. <laughs> I'm down at the beginning. <laughs> so if you come and visit me when I'm going through it and you see me reading Proverbs 3, you might want to pass on by. And yet, in the middle of trial, in the middle of tribulation, in the middle of suffering, there are still those who want to undermine the ministry of God's people. And yet, right here, Paul praises God, even though Satan has picked his target well. That's amazing to me. There, this man is going through mental stress. 
This guy is going through physical stress, stress and heartache that you and I can't comprehend. And yet he says, God comforts us. God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be him. That God. Well, you mean the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No, I mean the God and Father of the Sovereign, the Savior, and the Anointed. That one. That one's the one I'm getting comfort from. Because in that little benediction, just that little phrase right there, you see a 100% God, 100% man. You literally see the whole redemption picture right there. In his humanity, he was submitted to God. And yet, have you thought about that? If you're human, you will submit to a God. The question is, is it the God? You will. Look at what we worship. I mean, we worship trees, cars, houses, people. And you know what? We don't even have to be drug off to it. I hold a gun. If you do not worship that, yeah, you know, it's a motorcycle. Yeah, man, it's a Corvette. Oh, I like this. I worship this. She's pretty. He's handsome. In our humanity, we obey a God. And what he's saying here in this little phrase is, Jesus Christ obeyed a God. Even though he is God, in his humanity, he submits to God, the true God. Why? He says, because I want you to be followers of me. Here he is submitted to God that he is. And yet, he is God's equal. He is God incarnate. See, the titles that you see here, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is all the redemptive work that the Lord had come to do. All in a phrase. Remember? All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you understand what that is now? 100% God, 100% man, submitted to God in every aspect, yet absolutely equal to God. Now then, follow me. You're joint heirs. You've been adopted into God's family. And yet, who are you submitted to? And you know what? I guarantee you, when you're in a conflict, it is a lack of submission. I mean, in 1 Corinthians 13, remember, it's all summarized. The love chapter. Consider others more important than yourself. Now go do that. Piece of cake. Makes you want to be on an abandoned island by yourself. Then I can submit to everybody equally. See, he's saying this is a blessing to God who revealed himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, but I want to look at this now because he adds a few things. Look what he says there. The Father of mercies, God of all comfort. Okay, listen, he could have chosen a whole bunch of different titles. 
that would have been just as appropriate. But these two is why he wants to make the point. These two are why I'm writing this letter. Because there may be somebody out there saying, Paul can't be of God. Look at all the things that's gone wrong. I mean, every time he gets in a ship, it sinks. It's obvious he's not obedient to God or God wouldn't have put him on that boat. And yet Paul says, I want to make this point. God is coming to me even in my suffering. I want you to understand that God is coming to me in my pain. He is coming to me in my affliction. And I know that and I will bless the God and Father of my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to know that what I'm going through is not for chastening. It is not discipline. What I am going through is to be comforted by Him who spoke existence into being. God is on my side. That's what Paul's saying. God is picking me up. I don't care what they're saying about my suffering. I don't care what. How many times do you watch people get in? Some things will go wrong, whether financially, they may lose their jobs, they may have health issues, and the people will walk around and say, huh, I wonder what uh, God's got on them. Really? How many times do you see that? I remember when my wife's first husband was... Uh, had died, uh, and they had anointed his head with oil, and they had prayed and prayed and prayed 24 hours a day for months and months and months and months, and he died. And I literally remember somebody coming to my wife saying, you know what, if you'd had more faith, he'd have lived. What? Let me tell you something. If I die, and you guys want to call me back out of heaven, you better hope you're not successful. You get me out of heaven and I come back down here. Oh, oh, I pity the one who would ever even think that you're going to get me out of where I always thought the most depressed person in all of scripture had to have been Lazarus. You called me from where I don't care. If my sister's upset. I, that, that's, you know, whatever. Paul is saying, hey, I want you to know something. No matter what you see externally, I have a comfort that is on the equivalent of he who raises the dead. That's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. When you see that phrase there, father of mercies, um, This is the language of the Jews. It is used today. Every synagogue starts with the Father of mercies in their prayers. It is a cry from the Jewish people for tender mercy. And it literally has in its mindset a cry for pity. Have pity on us, God. Okay. See, when you hear that word, you immediately think, pity. But if you think about our desperate condition, how can we not be pitied? And that's why there's a cry for God for mercy. 
See, God, look at our miserable condition. God, look at our sinful condition. It's a, it's a sense of desperation. And Lord, treat us with kindness. Treat us with love. Why? Because only God does that. I, I was thinking, I went back through this. Um, you can't help but bring David into it, right? I mean, <laughs> that boy was a mercy junkie. <laughs> okay, in Second Samuel 24, verse 14, it says this, David speaking to Gad, Gad's a prophet, He says to Gad, I am in great distress. You know why he's in distress, right? He took a census. Okay? Because he wanted to know if he was ready to go to war. And God says, we're ready. And David says, well, I'm going to get a head count to make sure. Listen, if God tells you you're ready, don't be counting heads. Okay? Ask Gideon about it when you see him. He had his army. He said, God said, that's too many. Too many? <laughs> oh yeah, too many. <laughs> we'll keep whittling it down. Oh, by the way, you won't even need a sword. Really? No, just a bucket and a candle. It'll be great. Watch. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and everybody's saying, that's the general. <laughs> <laughs> Why wasn't I one of those that was disqualified? <laughs> Here's what David says. David says to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of men. Let's be realistic. Who's got more mercy, men or God? Always God. Always God. And David understood that. Boy, did David understand that. In the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 86.15, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. In Psalm 103, verse 8. Oops. 103, verse 8. Says this. Who pardons all, all of your iniquities, heals your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. 86.15, as for man, his days are like the grass. Oops, wrong one, sorry. Uh, verse 8 of 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. In verse 17, the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children's. Cool stuff. Why? Because even David knew that, you know what? There are times where I just ain't doing it right. Now, David's a man after God's own heart. And yet he was an adulterer and a murderer. 
But he also knew the loving kindness and the compassion and the mercy and grace of his Lord. Micah understood it. <clears throat> Micah chapter 7, Micah ch- chapter 7, 18 and 19, he says this, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will treat our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all of their sins into the depths of the seas. That's good stuff. Okay, but I want you to know something about our God, the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He hasn't changed. That's Old Testament. You know, that's funny because most people think God of the Old Testament is a meanie. I've seen it. Well, he's just really mean. I mean, the ground opens up and swallowed up priests and, you know, go kill these people. And when you conquer this people, kill even their chickens. Okay, that's, that's just a mean God. Well, how's come the writers are always saying you're compassionate, your mercy, your comfort? Okay, but he's the same. If you look, look at Matthew's, ah, you know, there are so many. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We all remember that. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. What would those be? Those first 11 chapters. Why? It says you are a worm. There is nothing good about you. Oh, therefore I shall justify you. I shall sanctify you and I will glorify you. That would classify as mercy. Right? This is just a tad bit merciful. And he says, you know what? The pagans who worship in the temple, are, they're no better than the religious people who've got the book. That's how deep, that's how awful, that's how rotten you people are. And yet, by my mercy, I have saved you. I have sanctified you. I have made you holy to the point that you will are glorified. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's mercy. That's mercy. Mercy, if you think about it, that book... Romans, and then that chapter 12 where he says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. Everything in the whole story of salvation is wrapped up in the mercies of God. The mercy of God is God's mercy demonstrated by saving you, by sanctifying you, by glorifying you. See, Paul... He understood this. And that's why he's writing this. He said, this is the father of glory. This is the father of all mercies. Listen, there is no mercies outside of God. Think about it. And he's, and he, you, dude, now I want you to think about this for a second because we had that verse, remember, when you got your brother or your sister and they're suffering and their wife has left them and their dog died and, and they lost their job and the bank's coming to, and, and you just look up and he says, you just count it all joy, brother. When you fall into various trials. You know what counting it all joy is? 
Where I can sit there in the midst of picking at my sores with a nagging wife, nothing personal, uh, and, and everything gone that I'd ever worked for. And I can say, blessed be the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. And everything else is going on around me. So what? So what? Count it all joy. I rejoice in my trials. There is no such thing as trials for a Christian. You may think you're in a trial. You may think you're in an affliction. But the truth of the matter is, does he comfort you? Then how big a deal is it? Okay, now if I'm focusing on the trial or I'm focusing on the affliction or I'm focusing on the pain and I'm focusing on the suffering, who am I not focused on? And I, I've been there. I've been in pain before. I've had heartache before. I've had anguish before. I've buried dear brothers. I know the pain. And you know what I can tell you honestly? He's always comforted me. He has never let me be alone. Even when I wanted to be alone, he wouldn't let me be alone. I know where you're at. And you get that voice from heaven. Don't make me come down there. Anyway. Our God is a revealing in Jesus Christ is a merciful. I mean, the fact that he took on the veil of humanity shows his mercy, shows his compassion. It shows, as Linsky said, his tender pity for those he loves. That's cool, isn't it? But you know what, (laughs) Paul? There's more because he is the God of all comfort. For the sake of time, I I was going through this and I was like, oh my goodness. (laughs) It's all over the place. So I went to the Old Testament. I said, now, out of all the Old Testament guys, who needed more comfort than anybody? Okay, and I I had a toss-up between three. Okay, Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Ezekiel. Okay, because you're you're like, well, I hope I don't ever get their ministries. (laughs) Everybody just wants you dead. (laughs) And that's the people who like you (laughs) because nobody else even likes you. So here's where he starts. Chapter 40, uh, verse one. Isaiah, or comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God, speak kindly to Jerusalem. Now, listen, here's what he's doing. He's telling Jerusalem if they don't change. If they don't turn, they burn. Okay? And guess what Jerusalem's saying? Shut that man up. Why do you guys keep listening to him? And you know, here's what God says. We will comfort Jerusalem. We will comfort Jerusalem. Go to Isaiah 49, 13. His ministry didn't really get that much better. 49, 13. Shout! For joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on His afflicted. Hmm. Isaiah 51, verse 3. 
Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and her wilderness. He will make like Eden and her deserts like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and sound of melody. If you drop down there a little bit, verse 12, I, even I, he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of a man who dies and the son of a man who is made like grass? He says, why are you worried about being conquered? What's the big deal? Chapter 52, verse 9. Break forth, shout joyfully. I'm seeing a theme. I'm seeing a theme. Be noisy and happy and joyful about what? Break forth and shout joyfully together your waste places of Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Isaiah 66. Verse 13. As one whom his mother comforts so I will comfort you and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Now, Isaiah wasn't having a lot of fun in what God had called him to. I mean, it basically, he said, you take the message to the people, the people, you know, what's amazing about Isaiah is they understood that he was a prophet of God. He speaks forth the words of God. <laughs> we ain't listening. And if we kill him, we don't have to listen to him no more. That's a brilliant plan. Okay? And yet through all of it, he said, where's his comfort? Who will, who will bring comfort to what I am saying? So when you use the phrase, count it all joy, brother, when you fall into various trials, do you understand what you're saying? Count it all joy. Why? Go to he who comforts. The ultimate comfort. Who? That would be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You go to Him. Why? Oh, He's just the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. All comfort. Brothers and sisters, I cannot tell you how many times I've experienced this in situations and people and relationships that I have known and been involved with over years and years and years and years. And I have watched God in supernatural form literally take over the situation and bring absolute comfort to, to the most cataclysmic events. To the most cataclysmic events. And orchestrate them. And just make it all work. And you just sit there and go, well... I don't understand any of this. But you know what? That's not just the God of the Old Testament. God of the New Testament, a guy named Matthew. Matthew left everything he had <laughs> to follow Jesus. And then he got to sit under one of the greatest sermons that's ever preached. Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Okay, the word blessed there literally has in its meaning happiness. See, the problem with happiness that we have today, it's based on a happenstance. Okay, I remember I was fishing down in Leavenworth, and, and it, was, it was 
Now, it was a little later in October. The ice hadn't come on the lake, but we were out on a boat, and um, I was going after pike. I just wanted to catch me a big old alligator-looking fish, okay, and had it all figured out. So I had this great big gnarly fishing pole with steel leaders and things that looked like the size of cats hanging on the end of it. Because I, I didn't want to catch just a pike. I wanted the big one, okay? So I was sitting there watching this, and, that, and that's cold. It was, it was, there was snow blowing across the windshield of the boat. Okay, so that makes it cold. Okay, and so I look, and this pole's bending a little bit. So I start cranking it up, and as I crank it up, it goes down like that, and I crank it, and I was like, wow, dude. Uh, Joe Sedbury was with me. And, and I was cranking, and all of a sudden I yanked on that thing, and I cranked on that thing, and it bent down, and I yanked on, whoa, man. And then I was like, ah, I got me a fish. And, and so I start burning. So Joey's over there, and he's, he's going to get it. He's got, <laughs> I got this net. It's about that big around. <laughs> he's got the net, and he's ready. And I start bringing it up. Now, I'm in a 16-foot boat, okay? This thing goes from, when it comes to, I can see its back, it comes from the windshield to pass the motor, okay? And it's a pike, and it's got teeth. <laughs> and I look down at that fish, and it kind of did one of these look up at us, and Joey's like, I only got a net. <laughs> I need like a 30-06. Um, and I, I just I hit it one more time, and it bit through that steel leader. And you could just see it swim back down through there. And that was what I was thinking about when I read this. Do you really want that in your boat? Okay. And it's one of those, who caught who? <laughs> I mean, he might have been getting ready to have a barbecue, and we were invited. Okay. And, you know, there was a part of me that was sort of like, bummer, man. And then there was that other part of Joey looked at me and says, we don't want that in the boat. <laughs> and he says, and I'll be honest with you, you get that in that boat, I'm getting out. And I don't care how cold that water is. <laughs> and then I thought about it. I thought, you know what? He's probably right that, you know, it's, it's probably better. You know, I don't normally carry a gun with me when I go fishing, <laughs> not in Colorado anyway. But it was that morning side of it. But he says, you know what? They shall be comforted. Some of us in this room have mourned, been heartbroken, probably the loss of a loved one, if I was a, a guessing guy. Loss of a, a very good friend. I remember uh, the best man of my wedding stepped into glory a couple of years ago. And that one there was a little bit on the tough side. But I, I've buried some other people that are very dear to me. And I spent some time with uh, Dr. Olford. Uh, at his memorial and, and a few others uh, that you say, why, Lord? Why? And yet, in the middle of that morning, you know what? I, get, I hate to break the news to you. People will not comfort you because they'll come up and say, I'm convinced that the suffering of this age cannot compare to the black eye you're about to give me. <laughs> Okay, because that's what they're going to say. Something really brilliant. You know, you know what I learned as a pastor is don't say nothing. You don't have to say a word. And yet he understood that. Matthew understood that. Jesus said it. Blessed, happy. 
It's not based on the happenstance. The fish swam away. But I got to see it. Okay? I mean, there it goes. It's probably a good thing. Right? But there's times that you have to say, you know what? Sometimes the happenstance that I'm in just ain't that happy. But I ask you a question. Are they comforted? He's never let us down. Never, ever let us down. I was thinking Second uh, <clears throat> Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. I, I love this phrase because I'll just read it to you and you'll, you'll see what I'm, I'm saying. Okay, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Okay, you know what I like about that verse? Yes, I like that. It's eternal comfort. I'm going to have good hope by grace. Yes, yes, yes. And my heart will be strengthened for every good. That's not what I like about that verse. You know what I like about that verse the most? May the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father. That's the one. Who's going to come and give you eternal comfort. That's the one who will give you good hope by grace. That's the one who will comfort you. That is the one who will strengthen your hearts in every good work and deed. That's the one. He's not going to send an angel to do it. He's not going to send a hireling to do it. He's not going to send an associate pastor to do it. Or an elder of the church to do it. Or a deacon of the church to do it. Or perhaps the chaplain. May the Lord Jesus Christ himself do it. God the Father. Why? Because then you don't have to wait. <laughs> it's instantaneous. <laughs> it's there. I love that phrase. It's one that I have memorized. It's one of my... <laughs> it's just a few before <laughs> trusting the Lord with all your heart. Okay? I mean, if you come and I'm in Second Thessalonians, you're like, it's getting bad. Okay, <laughs> we haven't hit the bottom yet, but buddy, he's, he's wanting the Lord himself to comfort. Why? Because it's not a hireling. There's not somebody coming in to take his place. See, Paul understood this. Paul in his suffering, Paul in his pain, Paul in his daily pressure and concern for the body of Christ. Paul with his physical problems. Paul watching people that he had poured his soul into, watching them walk away. Demas had left, gone back for the things of this world. Watching the false teachers come in and tear apart the work that he had done. Attack him personally. Attack his integrity. Attack his message. Physically, he was hurting. Stoned and left for dead. Beaten. Several times by his people. 39 stripes. Beaten with rods. Bitten by a poisonous snake. Well, but he didn't die. I still bet you it wasn't pleasant. You get bit by anything. Yeah, sign me up. You take all of that heartache. You take all of that anguish. You take all of that physical affliction. And you know what he says? Blessed be 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Because He shells it all out. He gets rid of the extra. The entanglements of this world, He just sheds and says, Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. That's good stuff, people. And when you get into this letter, 2 Corinthians, you're going to keep coming back to this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercy and the God of all comfort. Why? Because everything that's going on, only He who raises the dead is comforting me, and I am in need of nothing else. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise of comfort in suffering. Father, your promise of mercy in our sinfulness, the pity that you bestow upon us to save us, to sanctify us, and to glorify us. And in that whole process, we take comfort that you are the author and the finisher of our faith seated at the right hand of the Father, that in no matter what is happening, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loves us and given us eternal comfort, comfort and strength in our hearts, in every good work and word. To you, King, to you, in Christ and Christ alone. Amen.